Welcome to the Life of Christ. This is Series 6, uh, Lesson 1. We're in 2020. What I'm going to do, because it's been a little while, I'm going to go back a page, on, in my book anyway, to page 35, because the thought begins in page 35, when Jesus, this is concerning true righteousness, when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, He says, For I say to you, and again, this is Jesus' way of challenging their thinking. You know, he's saying, you've heard it, but I'm telling you something now. So he says, for I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In his commentary, can I just go through this till we get to where we get to? Okay. In his commentary, Leon Morris says that the Pharisees put a tremendous emphasis on the letter of the law. But Jesus was looking for something very different from the Pharisaic standards. For them, it was a matter of observing regulations and softening them where possible. But for him, it was keeping the commandments in depth. He taught a radical obedience. Now, in Luke chapter 16, we get a glimpse of what Jesus was making reference to with verse 14 and 15 saying, Now, the Pharisees were lovers of money, who also heard all these things, and they derided or ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. I think that's a really key thing. Regardless of how good we look in front of people, our heart before God is the most important thing. I remember when I was in ministry, when I first started in ministry, you know, one of the things that the minister said, and in fact the, the whole of a certain camp, was very much about you know looking right and looking good and and you know don't let uh, there be anything that people can say bad about you sort of a thing and it was and I, and I understand you know I understand what they were trying to say I understand that you shouldn't give people a sort of reason to to stumble can I can I say it that way but you know in all of that we ended up with a whole bunch of professional Christians. They knew the talk, they knew how to behave in front of people, but their private life was something else. And I remember to this day how shocked I was when I found out, you know, a particular family, you know, the husband was beating up on the wife, and Christians coming to church, raising their hands, speaking in tongues. You all know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, you know what I mean? It just blew my mind. And, you know, I started to realize something. I thought, you know, as much as people want to put this emphasis on the outward, we have to be careful we don't become pharisaical in it as well. Amen? All right, let's just keep going. So he says, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I think that is really key as well. There's something really powerful. I didn't really preach on this before. But let me just mention it very quickly. You know, I can't go past anything Jesus says and get, always see more in everything he says. But isn't it interesting? It talks about that there are things that people regard highly. I want you to see this. Notice for what is highly esteemed among men. In other words, these are the things that make you popular. These are the things that get you all the big things you want. Are you with me? I really need you to get this because we really don't see this. He says, for what is highly esteemed. He didn't just say esteemed. He said highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So there will be things that men highly esteem. And they say, oh, you know, this is wonderful and that's great and that's awesome. And God says it's an abomination. Is that like, that shocks me. Is it you? I, I don't know. But it shocks me that people could be so wrong. 
okay? In other words, God is looking for the kind of righteousness that proceeds from the heart and comes from a holy life and lifestyle. Not one that is hypocritical, outward, and only interested in impressing people. In fact, in his commentary, William Hendrickson says that what Jesus was effectively saying to these Pharisees was, you are the people who pass yourselves off before men as if you were living in harmony with God's holy law. Listen, this is really well put. Okay, but your righteousness is only, no, it's not a facade, it's a facade. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) on the inside. That's a running joke. Anyway, on the inside, you are the very opposite of what you want people to believe you are. However, God has your number. I really like that. <laughs> okay? He knows that your religion is a sham. For what men see of you and admire is an abomination in God's sight. Wow. Okay. So... What's so sad is that this had become the Pharisees' way of life. Outward appearances or appearance with no substance whatsoever. And why Jesus would go on to say to them in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25, he says, Woe to you. You know when Jesus says, Woe, it's woe. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And then he says, Hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. I want you to notice the two things that he mentions. He says extortion, you know when you extort people, okay? And notice the second thing, self-indulgence. Okay. In his commentary, I'd like to preach, but I really need to move on. In his commentary, Leon Morris says that the Pharisees were meticulous with outward things. Things that people could notice and that would impress on observers just how pious the Pharisees were. They were not so careful about the things that people could not see and measure. Did you catch that? All right. Added to this, T.H. Robinson goes on to explain that these people ate and drank luxuriously. Things which they had secured by acts of violence and wrong. What they put in their cups was contaminated by the source from which it had come. And it was useless to polish the outside of the vessel and so meet the demands of the traditional law. In short, Jesus let them know that no amount of ceremonial washing and polishing of cups and bowls would ever compensate for their corruption, misconduct, dishonesty and self-indulgence. Let me just stop there for a minute. I have seen this. You know, some people just start to clean. (laughs) They do something wrong and the way that they try to get over their guilt is to do something. And you know, the thing that Jesus is saying is, listen, if you mess up, it's not all your good works that are going to get you to heaven. You need to go to God and apologize. Then do all your good works. If good works are coming from a guilt or from guilt, then they're not going to have any reward attached to them. And you're not going to be forgiven of what you did just because you did something else good. Do you know what I'm trying to say? You know, it's sad how the devil can use people that way to just waste their lives doing good to try and... uh, what's the word, atone for something they've done bad, when all they need to do is go to God and say, I'm sorry I messed up. And then if you want to do something good, then you're not doing to try to get over that. You're over that. Now you're doing it because you want to do it, and then it's the right heart behind it. For God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? Not one that's, that's, that's what's the word, guilt ridden <laughs> okay, in everything that they do. All right, so... So this is why Jesus said again in Matthew 5.20, For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, or excuse me, the scribes and Pharisees, 
you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we have caught up. All right. In fact, if we were to look at Proverbs chapter 6 and consider the things that the Lord hates, we would find that the Pharisees were guilty of every one of them. That really surprised me, actually. When I was going through this, I was doing a study, and the Lord just said, go to Proverbs 6, you'll find everything that they did there. And I realized, and you know, it was almost like, sorry, and I know people get upset when they go, the Lord talks to you, well, doesn't need to you, you know, who are you talking to otherwise? Anyway, <laughs> I believe, how, can I say that? I'll put it that way, how about that? I believe the Lord spoke to me, and he said, look for every one of these things, because you'll find every one of these things, which is the reason why I said of them, you are of your father, the devil. And I thought, well, that's, see, Jesus doesn't just throw stuff around, man. When he says something, there's a lot behind it. Amen? So let's have a look. It says there in verses 16 through 19, I mean, Proverbs chapter 6, he says, these six, the, uh, these six things the Lord hates, yes, even seven are an abomination to him. Verse 17, watch what it begins with, a proud look. You know, Pharisees, one of the key things about Pharisees is they were proud. Oh, they dressed up. They wanted the seats at the front. They, you know, when you look at Jesus' ministry, and dear Lord, we'll get to those. Okay, I really want to get to those. When he's ministering in a little house church or something, and they come in, they sit in the front seats. And if something's going on, they don't want to help. That's for somebody else. They want to be in the places of prominence. And Jesus addressed that at one point. Talking to them and said, you always look for those places. And he said, whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. Amen. There was a, you know, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted, obviously. But yeah. So here we go. A proud look, a lying tongue. Isn't that what they did to Jesus when they brought false witnesses to testify? Hands that shed innocent blood. Is that, do I have to say anything about that? <laughs> I mean, you know, they're the ones that got him on the cross. A heart that devises wicked plans. Think about this. They, they're the ones that came up. It said, then they went away and schemed. Remember? Okay? Feet that, are, uh, feet that are swift in running to evil. Dear God, I mean, you know. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brethren. You know, every time Jesus was having Bible study or, or teaching somewhere, they would get up and challenge him and try to bring discord into it. Always saying, well, Moses said this, what about you? What do you say about this? Just, you know, you don't, that's just disrespectful. You go to somebody's meeting, you shut up and listen. If you don't like it, leave. Don't sit there and argue with the person. Hey, they didn't force you to come. You came voluntarily, you can leave voluntarily. You know what I'm trying to say? Amen. I'm just just saying, especially if it's something good, you know, I mean, if it's something horrendous, that's something else. In relation to the first sin God hates, which is pride, Proverbs, which is Proverbs 16 and verse 17, 6 and verse 17. Slow down there. Jesus tells the following parable in Luke chapter 18. Now, you guys know all these parables, okay? Specifically identifying the Pharisee as being the offender. And says two men went up to the temple to pray. Remember? One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Luke 18 verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, what's the difference here? One is, there's no repentance in one whatsoever. One believes that they are sinless. Think about this now. And they are comparing their life to somebody else. And based on their comparison... 
They're saying, now God, you have to bless me because I'm not like that dirty old sinner over there. I'm teaching you something here, okay? We have to be so careful that we don't compare ourselves to somebody else and say, well, bless God, you know, I'm better than old dirty Uncle Joe over there, so you should bless me. It's not the reason why you're going to get blessed. Look at what the tax collector does. Look, he doesn't look at the Pharisee. He does, you know that, you know the tax collector, you know what he could have said? Look at that Pharisee. They used to talk like this, by the way. You know, think so much of himself. Huh? Probably involved in all kinds of stuff. <laughs> okay? Because he talks about them doing some very wrong things. And he could have just spoken back and said, Well, I'm not like that religious dot dot dot. So God, you better bless me. Is not what he said. Could have, he didn't. Just want to show you another side here. Instead, all he did was look at himself and say, I'm sorry. Be merciful to me. Guess whose prayer gets answered? Well, Jesus is going to tell you. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. So we see pride there. Okay? Remember the first thing, a proud look. And remember he looked at that person in that prideful sense. All right, next in Proverbs 6 and verse 17, in relation to a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, which is murder, Jesus says uh, to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now I want you to notice when he says it's from his own resources, which means he is... What he has at his very core is this quality of lies, lying, okay? Not lies, not lying, okay? Which results in lies, okay? As opposed to God who is righteous. He is unrighteous. I mean, the very opposite. All right, uh, I, would, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I have, I have taught all of this and I really want to just make it a part of the life of Jesus. So forgive me if I race through it. I want to get to past this Sermon on the Mount so that we can get some new territory and then move through that. Okay, is that okay? All right, I will stop when I need to. Okay, following this in Proverbs 6.18, it goes on to say, A heart that devises wicked plans and feet that are swift in running to evil. Both of which the Pharisees did in Matthew chapter 12, where it says, after Jesus healed a man with the withered hand, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him. So here are the wicked plans. How they might destroy him. And so here are the feet that are swift to running to evil. This is further amplified in Matthew chapter 27, where it says in verses 1 and 2, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. Can you believe this? They are literally taking time out to plot his death. What sort of people that call themselves of God would spend time doing this? You would think people that are of God would spend time praying. And saying, God, we really feel like this guy is, is blasphemous and everything else. Could you please talk to us and tell us what to do? And God would have said, Behold, my son, shut up and listen. <laughs> you know? okay? Well, that's what he did with Pete. Remember Pete started talking? And, and the voice came down. And he said, Hear ye him. Okay, so that's, that's all they would have needed. A confirmation from God. God would have said, Don't touch him. And that would be the end of it. But, you know. Okay, I know, I know. He needed to die somehow. But this is how it happened. Alright. Verse 2. They bound him, led him away, and handed handed him over to Pilate, the governor. So, there we go.
Proverbs 6 and verse 19 goes on to say that also God hates a false witness who speaks lies. This particular trait is brought in what the religious leaders did. Matthew chapter 28, following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 28, beginning verse 11, he says, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things, all things that had happened. So remember again, that, was, that Jesus had raised from the dead. Okay, tomb was empty. Verse 12, When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Can you believe this? They're buying him off. Saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Like they're going to sleep on guard duty. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. How, do, how can they do that? How can they even guarantee that? These are Jews. <laughs> okay? They're, you know, under the Roman government. See, these people always thought that they would just, you know, the, the, the Roman government was just a joke. And the Roman government always looked at the Jews and thought they were a joke. There was always this tension going on. Do you know Jesus came to bring peace into that place? So that what, would have ha- what, what ended up happening would not happen. You know, when, when, when the, the Roman government would get sick of them finally. Because of this, you know, what they did with Jesus had, rip- had a ripple effect in the government. As much as we don't like the Romans, they did have a government and a system. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Once they conquered <laughs> Okay, then they had a system of government. And, you know, there were checks and balances. And it came to Caesar's ears what had actually gone on. And, you know, the business with Herod and everything. And there, there were, I, I could tell you stories. You know, Herod was exiled and all sorts of things happened. Let me just say that. And, you know, things just went downhill. You can't touch God's anointed and nothing happens. Amen. Let me just say that. All right. I, I told, I'm sorry. I told you I wouldn't spend too much time on this. All right. Where are we? Okay. So, verse 14. And if this comes, again, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. Verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Can you believe that they just deceived the masses? Listen. We need to be really careful that there isn't some you know, figurehead saying stuff and everybody swallows it. And I won't mention what religion I'm talking about. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, okay? We have to be careful because that's exactly what happened here. The people believed the religious leaders. And all of them were deceived. All right, finally, in relation to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 19, which says that God hates people who sow discord among brethren, we see an example of this in what the Pharisees did in John chapter 8. Where it says in verses 3 to 11, And then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said, Remember, he's having a Bible study right now. Okay, he's ministering the word of God. And into this, they bring this situation. How would, it, how would they have liked it when they were having synagogue, whatever day, Saturday or whatever, and somebody dragged a problem like this in? Right in the middle of their phylacteries and their, you know, unscrolling things. And, you know, they all had their ways of doing things. Ooh, it would have upset them. But hey, you know, let's go mess up somebody else's. 
Maybe because all of their congregation was there. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. And so they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. I have spoken about this. I won't go there again. Verse 5 says, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. You see, the whole point wasn't, oh, we're here to, we really need to know some, something about this. We, we were having a problem with this. No, it wasn't that at all. We're just here to upset your meeting. So, discord. Okay. But Jesus stooped down, <laughs> I really love this. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself. So they're kind of going, ah, uh, he just disappeared from our eyesight. Okay, and so they keep at him. And it says, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. He goes, let me throw something back at you. You asking me about this. See, he's, they're, they're trying to get him to incriminate himself. He gets up and he says, you decide what you should do. You want to incriminate somebody? Incriminate yourself. Getting this? Okay. And so, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, there's a lot being said about what he wrote. I'm not going into it today. I'm going to leave it alone, okay? Then those who heard, I just think, obviously, if Jesus, let me just say this, if Jesus was writing something, it was significant. Can we all agree on that? It was something significant, okay? Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one. Okay, beginning with the oldest. You all know why the oldest, right? Because they have a bit more wisdom, yes, all right? Even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. You know, there is some, do you know, I've never seen this before. Did you notice that everybody, which tells us something very sad as well, that everybody that he was ministering to had an attitude? Means that all of them wanted to stone her because these people had infuriated them to that point. And when he challenged them, his whole Bible study left. Everybody left. Remember, he's left alone with her. Interesting, isn't it? We can do all the Bible studies in the world, but you know, at the end of the day, it's about you making decisions be- between you and God. Amen? And, and seeing them through. And so anyway, so again it says, And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst, verse 10, When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Amen? Amen. All right. I, I could say so much, but I want you to notice if, let me just make this one statement. If Jesus didn't condemn her, we have no right to condemn anybody. Amen? End of story. All right. And you guys know this. I'm just sharing stuff with you. Not, do you know, some of the things I share with you is not for you, it's for you to be able to tell somebody else. You know, I really, I'm, I, I'm training you up as ministers here more than anything else. All right. So I'm, I'm expecting you all to be good. Okay? <laughs> but sometimes you know, you're out there, you're mentioning and you don't know what to say. That's my job. Give you, put something in your mouth. Amen? And then I know you'll do awesome anyway. Another example of sowing discord, where are we? Almost coming up to half an hour. Uh, is brought out in Luke chapter 20, verses 21 through 26, where it says, Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. You know, this sounds so good. 
except for the reason they're doing it. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Verse 22, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But when he perceived their what? Craftiness. Huh? Not there, not, you know, there was nothing genuine about what they were doing. When, they, when he perceived their craftiness, he said to them, Why do you test me? Verse 24. He says, Show me a denarius. Oh, sorry, that should have been in red. Oh, yours doesn't matter. Okay, he says, Show me a denarius. He says, Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered and said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. There are some things that are natural, there are some things that are spiritual. There are some things that cross boundaries, by the way. But, you know, we need to be careful that we're not... The, the point he was making was don't say things like, well, I'm not going to give my tax because I'd much rather take it to the temple and give it there. Now, as much as the temple likes you doing that, we don't want you going to jail either. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? There are laws in the land. Respect the laws. You don't like the laws? Change the land. Go somewhere. Either pray about it or go somewhere else. Amen. You know? Okay. Moving on. Uh... Verse 26, but they could not catch him in his words. See, it's so simple. In the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. In other words, you know what they said? Wow, we have never had anybody answer us like this before. This is shocking. Amen. I hope somebody got saved there that day. What's astounding about all this is that when we get to chapter 18 of John's Gospel, after all the lies, deception, and murderous thoughts, it actually reports in verse 28, Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go in themselves because it would defile them. It's okay that they have just uh, um, accused somebody falsely, that they have literally condemned him to death, but let's not defile ourselves by walking in a spot that's unclean. Wow. Because it would defile them and they would, wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover feast. Guess what the Passover feast was all about? Exactly. The very thing that they were... Anyway. Alright. So while these religious men had no problem condemning an innocent man to death, they would have no part in defiling themselves by going into the Roman governor's headquarters and missing out on their precious Passover feast. But the sad truth of the matter was that no amount of Passover feasts were going to make up for the fact that they were about to murder their own Messiah and end up going to hell over it if they didn't repent. Amen? You know, there's always forgiveness. I'm just wondering whether to go to the next bit or... I'm talking very fast, but I'm on those track. Can we leave it here? Is that okay? And we'll come back and we'll pick up there and move forward from there. Let's take a break.